welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 12th of November 2017, entitled, The Living Sacrifice, and the Bible reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. First of all, a big thank you, because as... uh, as we're remembering something very different today as far as the remembrance of those that have given themselves, have given the ultimate sacrifice, have laid down their lives for the freedoms that, uh, that we enjoy. Um, we said that we also want to remember the ultimate sacrifice when Jesus Christ gave himself. Um, but of course, remembering is, is a time of being thankful, or it should be. And uh, and I want to, uh, to thank you all again this morning. Um, the three months that we have been away for all the extra things that you have done to make things keep working around here. A very, very special thanks to Brother Daniel. I know that he took on a lot of extra load to still be doing his normal job and to do all the things that he did to, uh, to, to serve you all. Uh, for those that came to, uh, to preach while I was away, Brother Steve and Brother Paul, we're thankful to them. But we're thankful to each and every one of you for just pulling together and doing your part. I'm thankful for a few new faces that weren't here when uh, uh, when uh, when we left, and we trust and pray that uh, that if God has brought you here, that you'll uh, you'll find the home here that you need to be a part of our of our church family. Uh, and I said last week that uh, I wanted to share with you. It's I don't think that it's things are coincidental with God. And uh, hadn't really thought about the fact, even before uh, this past week, that uh, my first Sunday back in the pulpit uh, would be on Remembrance Sunday and remembering these things. And as I had mentioned last week, that I wanted to share with you a bit uh, about what God had done these past three months and what we had been doing. Uh, and, And of course, the theme that we have been preaching, yes, we've preached in a lot of places uh, we covered some 10,000 miles. We traveled from uh, from the east coast of North Carolina to the uh, to the Mississippi River, east and west. We traveled from Lake Erie up near Canada, right down to Tampa Bay in Florida. Uh, we were in church after church after church, and most of those were new churches that we had never been in before, that we'd never spoken in before. We thank God so much because we prayed earnestly that God would open the doors for us. I want to read a verse to you here, though, and then I want to share a little bit of my heart because really what I have been, the burden that God burdened my heart with for these past three months was really a compilation of different sermons that I've preached to you over, over some time. Um, but I want us to remember, first of all, the writings here in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, uh, and we find that as we think of this day of the great sacrifices that have been made for us, we want to just remind ourselves here in Hebrews chapter 2, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, I invite you to stand for the, uh, uh, for the reading of God's Word, uh, to honor it as we read it this morning. And in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, as we stand and read together, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run the race with patience 
the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. And if you turn back just a few pages in your Bible now to the book of Romans chapter 12, and in Romans chapter 12, we find another passage which is what you find on the screen before you, the overhead, writing to the church at Romans, Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, we thank you this morning that, Lord, as we look into your word once again here today, I do pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that as you are the one that knows each and every heart, you knew who would be here before we gathered here today. You knew when you laid these words upon our hearts today that, Lord, that there would be those here that for whatever reason, this is the message that they need to hear. But, Father, we know that this man has no message that can accomplish anything. But, Lord, we pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would speak to us today. Speak to hearts, save the lost, restore the backslider, encourage, rebuild, challenge the Christians in you. Lord, may each of us in some way, our lives be changed. Let us be more like our Savior when we leave here today. For it's in his name we pray, amen and amen. The Bible reminds us in Hebrews chapter 12 that we are compassed about by a lot of witnesses. Now, there's a lot of debate on all the witnesses that are being spoken about here, whether they're heavenly witnesses or earthly witnesses and who that they are. But the truth is, is that there are a lot of eyes that are upon us. And he says, as so many people are watching us, we need to lay aside every weight. Those things that he says here that, that would easily beset us so that we can run the patience, so we can run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, when a, when a runner gets out there and he enters in that race that he's entering so that he can be the first to get across that finish line, uh, he doesn't go out there. I can still remember as a young soldier, I can remember in boot camp when they put you out there not just to run those miles upon him, but they put you out there in these thick wool uniforms and it's over 100 degrees Fahrenheit and they put you out there and they pack these backpacks on your back because you're carrying everything that you might need. There's a lot of weight in there and I promise you, you can't run fast when you got a backsack of 50 pounds upon your back. You just won't do it. So many times as Christians, we're carrying around a lot of weight we're not in this race prepared to run and do what we need to do in the race. We've got too many of the things of this world that are attached to us, that we're carrying with us, that are, that are holding us back. He's saying, look, there's a lot of eyes upon you. Those athletes, when they get out there and run, all those eyes are looking upon them to see who is going to finish that race and how they're going to run that race. He said, there's a lot of people watching you. Lay aside those things that would slow you down. Lay aside those things that would hinder you in this race. Lay those things aside, he says, and looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, because for him, 
because of the joy that was set before him. What joy? I believe the joy. The Bible tells us that there's more celebration, more praise, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that comes. Folks, the joy that was set before him was even as we see here this morning, you that would come to know him as your Lord and Savior. He was laying down his life for the joy that was set before him. Uh, what did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That which he did upon Calvary, he did because he loves you. And I hadn't planned on this, but I, there's a song that just came to mind that that's in our hymnal that, you know, I, I, can remember, I can remember hearing my dad sing this song when I was a little youngster. But I can remember that it used to just remind me, even as a youngster, of what Jesus Christ had done for me. The song goes like this. He says, Up Calvary's mountain, one dreadful morn, Walked Christ my Savior, weary and worn, facing for sinners, death on the cross, that he might save them from endless loss. Blessed Redeemer, Precious Redeemer, seems now I see him on Calvary's tree, wounded and bleeding, for sinners pleading, blind and Father, forgive them, thus did he pray. E'en while his lifeblood flowed fast away, praying for sinners while in such woe, no one but Jesus ever loved so. Blessed Redeemer, precious Redeemer, seems now I see him on Calvary's tree, wounded and bleeding, for sinners pleading, blind and unheeding, dying for me. Oh, how I love him, Savior and friend. How can my praises ever find him? Through years unnumbered on heaven's shore, my tongue shall praise him forevermore. Sing it with me. Blessed Redeemer, 
precious Redeemer. Seems now I see him on Calvary's tree. Wounded and bleeding, poor sinners pleading, blind and unheeding, dying for me. We can all sing that for ourselves. He died it for you. You see, that was the joy that was set before him. You. Your salvation. He was dying for you because he loved you so very, very much. You see, the Bible's saying, look, folks, let's get serious about the race that we're in. Lay aside those weights. Anything that's holding you down, that's holding you back in this race that's before us, it's a race for the souls of mankind, folks. Do we realize for the joy that you have right now, for what this world can give you, for that weight that you're not willing to let go of, for that weight that is hindering you in your walk with Jesus Christ, is that worth the joy of one soul? You see, whatever God, is, whatever God has in store for your life, if he uses you, all these eyes that are upon you, who's watching you right now? Who's watching your life right now? What is your life speaking to them? You see, the Bible says, lay those things aside and look to Jesus. He's the author. He's the finisher. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's everything that you need from beginning to end and everything in between. He looked at the joy because of his love for you. And because of that, he was willing to endure everything that he went through. We find that in Romans chapter 12, we've been asked something here. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. You see, Jesus died for you. He's not asking you to die for him. He's not asking you to die for anybody. He's already paid that price. He's already taken care of that part of it. But what he is asking of you is to be a living sacrifice, which he says is holy and acceptable. It is your reasonable service, the only life that you have. One of the themes that God has laid upon my heart that over these months of traveling on the highway... I believe with all my heart that there's a crisis in the churches right across the world today. Not just in Britain, not just in America, but there's a crisis in the churches because there's too many folks. There's too many that have too many things that have gotten in the way. Jesus was willing to pay that ultimate price one of the patches that I've shared in so many of the places, and I guess the thing is this, God gave me a burden of my heart. And the burden of my heart was that we weren't going to these churches in America to present Larry and Jane Curtis to them because that we were missionary servants for our Lord. We were going there for a totally different purpose. Yes, we shared with them about you. We told them about you. We told them about this work here. We told them about the sacrifices. You see, even as we sit here this morning... There are many that have gone before us. Just last Sunday, we celebrated 
the church anniversary of this church because in 1931, the first Sunday in November, they walked through those doors back there for the very first time to worship in this place. Why? Because God had moved in a revival. There was a tent that was set up here and so many people had been saved that when the tent meeting came to an end, they had to leave the tent so that they had somewhere to worship while they built themselves a church. These houses weren't out here then. They came later. But the truth is, is that there were those that went before us that paid a price for us to be sitting here today through the 1930s and the 1940s. And, I, and I've got some photos, and I will still, and I was going to show them to you even this evening for those that wanted to be here to see them, but I haven't found all my cables and stuff that I left behind when I left here, and I've got to figure out where everything has, has gone. I can't remember what I left here and what I left at home three months ago. But I want to show you some of the earliest shots that I have of this place, 30s and 40s and 50s. I'm talking about a place that was packed out in here, folks. I've got some shots of what it looked like when we first came here with the, with the balcony across the back and the choir loft halfway to heaven and, and, and on all of the tiered seating around the sides and everything. And, of course, they didn't have fire eggs in those days. They used to pack the people in here. God moved tremendously. When we arrived here in June of 1990, I can't begin. I will show you some photos that will show a little bit of it. But, folks... The building was dilapidated. This congregation, had this, this sanctuary had not been used in so many years they couldn't remember. There were six or eight aged people meeting in this back room back here. I can remember the first time that I came here to preach while I was at that time helping out in another ministry in Nietzsche's. It was the wintertime and I pulled up and, 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 and the weeds outside were, they were, they were like knee high and this was wintertime. There was no sign that said that there was a church. And the thing was this, folks. It wasn't because nobody cared. It's because there were six or eight, depending on the Sunday, good or bad, very aged folks that were meeting back here. Some of you remember Brother Cecil Green that's no longer able to drive across town. Brother Cecil was one of those. Sister Dorothy. Brother Cecil was the youngest member. He retired the first year that I was here. Now Brother Cecil's in his 90s. God's blessed him. <laughs> Sister Mooney was one of those who's now in a care home. The rest of them, as far as I know, have all gone to be with the Lord now. But you see, they were sacrificing. There was two men, three men in the church at the time, Brother Cecil, Brother Daniel Bird, and Brother Albert. <laughs> Brother Albert Craythorne was... Was, he walked all stooped over it. He had a, had a cane in his hand, and he lived over the other side of East Birmingham Hospital. The only way he had to get to church on Sundays was public transport. <laughs> he had to get a couple of buses, and he would make his way, little small steps, all stooped over. But you see, he got here early every Sunday. You know why? Because he didn't have the strength to mow the grass and cut the weeds down. But he got here every Sunday morning to go around to pick up the bits of litter and paper that were scattered around out there because it was God's house, and it deserved that. 
There were so many, so many sacrifices. But you see, they'd been praying for years. They were determined. There was only one group they, they had approached. I could give you several Christian organizations that approached to try to get them to come in and help them with this building because they didn't want to see it closed down. When I came to preach the first time in late 1989, and I found out that they had not had a pastor. Their last pastor had left here in the late 50s. In the late 50s. They'd seen the congregation dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. They didn't want to see it close. They prayed, they approached, but nobody wanted to take on this monstrous old building that was falling down around their ears. I'm not exaggerating when I said, I, I, I told people across America, I said, you know, I said, people pay big money now to have these, uh, these waterfalls inside of their house, these water effects and things where the water comes. I said, man, we had water effects everywhere. We didn't have to pay anything. It just had to rain, and you could watch the water run down the walls. <laughs> That's no exaggeration. <laughs> you see, there were people that were sacrificing because they wanted to keep the There was only one group that wanted this building. And that was the Muslims. <laughs> they were willing to take it. Nobody else wanted it. <laughs> but they wanted to see it continue on for the Lord. It was no accident, no coincidence. A young 20-some-year-old American lad and his wife in America that had felt like God was calling them to this country to serve. It was no coincidence that God had laid upon our heart that though coming here to work in church planting, that God had used another missionary that was serving here, some articles that he had written, He'd sent those articles, and I was reading about all those churches that were closing the doors just like this one was on the verge of, and God gave us a burden for that. But we were praying that God would put us in one of those places to at least help keep one of those places from just becoming another statistic. I didn't know these people. They didn't know me from Adam. <laughs> I'd preach somewhere that somebody had told somebody that told somebody that told somebody else, and... We finally got asked to come here to preach, and God brought us all together from that point. But what I'm saying is, folks, through a lot of years, there was a handful of people that were sacrificing and determined that this place would be here for us today. And we've seen God do a lot. <laughs> I can remember... I can remember, thank God, we've seen a lot of people go through this baptistry since then. I can remember some of you would, would even know if I called her name, the very first adult lady that came to Christ in this little back room and that we baptized was, was Janet Grant. It was Janet Barr at that time. And, uh, and I can remember being nervous because uh, I was used to American rivers and creeks and baptistries where you're in waist-deep water when you baptize somebody. And that's not too far to get people down there, but... Uh, the first time I put water in this one, I said, wow, that's, that's barely above my knees, man. That's, that's a long way to get somebody down there and to get them back up. And I, and I was, what if I drop her, you know? <laughs> but uh, it was even worse when we came in on the Sunday morning for the baptizing because uh, the water we'd put in there and, and uh, tried to, uh, to warm up had all leaked out. <laughs> and so uh, the baptistry was, was almost empty. Uh, and for that first baptizing, I had to literally leave the tap running to keep water coming in because it was leaking out so fast that we couldn't keep enough water in there to do the baptistry. But God got us through it. And for us to be here today, some of you have been here for a lot of those years now. Some of you have been here since some of those very early days, and some of you have come more recently. The thing is, though, is that many people 
have sacrificed a lot that we can be here. But now it's our responsibility. You see, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to read you a couple of these passages because time's going to be gone from us. And I want you to understand the burden that God laid upon my heart that we've been trying to impress upon churches these past three months. And it ties in so vividly that today, I want you to understand, folks, because of love, because of love, Jesus Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice for you. If you're trying to, to, to live this Christian life and, and go through this Christian life with, with all these worldly things weighting you down, get them out of your life. Look to Him. Remember what He's done for you and why He did it. You can run this race and you can run it properly and you can be effective, but you've got to look to Him. He's the one that will help you to do it. Get rid of those other things. Paul told the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, we are confident. This is something we know. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wow. He thought about what Paul's saying there. <laughs> I'm confident. I know this. Willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present from the Lord. Paul said, hey, <laughs> I know. I'd be better off dead. <laughs> I'd be better off out of this body and with the Lord. Do you realize this morning, you're hanging on to so many things in this life that you think that are so important to you. Paul said, I know with absolute certainty. I'd be better off with the Lord than I am here. There's nothing. There is nothing in this world that can make your life better than you'd be in heaven. But that's a future promise, folks, and we can look at a lot of things there. Right now, you're still here. Paul says, I know I would be better off there. But he says, wherefore we labor, <laughs> that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. I know heaven would be better, but I'm still here, and I've got a job to do. And I'm laboring, I'm doing what I'm doing, uh, whether present or absent, whether in this world or whether we're out of this world, whether we're in the UK or the United States or, or, or Africa or South America or wherever that we might be in the world, uh, that we might be accepted of him. Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you laboring? Are you going through your life because you're so concerned about being accepted by your friends and by your family and by your work colleagues? Or are you more concerned about being acceptable in his eyes? Too many people today are too worried about what their friends and the people around them are thinking of them. They want to be accepted by them and accepted in their eyes. But they don't stop to consider being accepted in his eyes. He gives us a sobering thought. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Whoa. I'm doing what I'm doing. I, I, I'd be better off in heaven, but I'm still here. But I'm doing what I'm doing to be accepted of him because one day, I will stand before God. You see, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, we're not going to be at the same judgment if you're saved and if you're lost. 
But at the judgment seat of Christ, he's speaking to the church here. He's speaking to the believers. I want to be accepted of him because one day I'm going to face him with my life and I'm going to give an account of everything that I do, of everything that I say, of everything that I think, whether it's good or whether it's bad, I will give an account to him one day, not for your salvation, but for your life. How accepted are you going to be of him? You will give an account for that life. That's a pretty good reason to live your life for him. But he goes on. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You see, knowing, knowing God's not going to overlook something, folks. He's not going to sweep it under the carpet. He is a just God. He is a gracious God, thank God. But he is a just God, whatever it is. You're not going to hide it from him. But guess what? Neither is your sister, and neither is your friend, and neither is your brother, and neither is your mom, and neither is your dad. Matter of fact, neither is that stranger. Neither is that person sitting beside you right now. The truth is, one day we'll all stand before him. But we know it's not just me that's going to be judged. But man, everybody, everybody I know, all those witnesses, all those that are watching me, you see, whether we are at the judgment seat of Christ or if you're here today, I don't care how much religion you got. I don't care how many times you've been baptized. I don't care what you've said. In your heart, if you don't possess the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be at the judgment seat of Christ. You will be at the great white throne of judgment. There is no more chance then. There is no more opportunity. Paul said, make your life count for something. Do you realize? Do you understand? We'd all be better off in heaven, yes, but we're still here. So what are we going to do with this life while we're here? God has a reason for you still being here. If you're a child of God, and if you're not going to live your life for Him, you would be better off. Whatever those weights are that are weighting you down, that are dragging you away from Him, you'd be better off if He'd just take you on to heaven. Because there's nothing in this life that's worth what it'll cost you. Nothing. But you are still here. God has a purpose and a reason for you. Maybe. Have you ever stopped to consider? You see, it was no accident or coincidence the first time that I walked through the doors of this church. That was part of God's plan for my life. You're stuck with it now, <laughs> at least for now. <laughs> What's God's plan for your life? Has God got you here for a specific purpose today? Because he loves you so much. He doesn't want to see you waste your life. He wants it to count for the maximum. He wants it to be the most that it possibly can be. Don't worry about pleasing man. Worry about pleasing him. You will face him one day, but so will everybody else, and they're watching your life. We persuade men, he says. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. The things that you're doing, the job that you're doing, you're not doing it so you can get credit for it, so somebody can see what a, what a great Christian that you are so that you can please them with what you're doing. It You do it for his glory, his glory alone. Paul says, I'm not here to commend myself to you. I'm not here to show you what I've done. 
I've told people up and down all those miles that we traveled that I was not there to tell them what Larry and Jane Curtis had done, good, bad, or indifferent. I wasn't there to brag on anything that we had done. We were just thankful that God had allowed us to be a part of it, just like each and every one of you, to God's glory. If any soul has been saved, if anything has been accomplished, but it's the same for all of us, folks. We're not here on this life to build up ourselves, to commend ourselves, to make us something in men's eyes. We're here for what God wants for us. That's the message I've tried to think because you know the crisis is today? There's too many even right here today. There's probably some right here in this congregation this morning. You've been hanging on to all the wrong things. You may have really wanted it in your heart. I mean, you know you don't want to go to hell one day. <laughs> you know that, you know, there's a part of you, you believe in God and, and, and all that stuff. There's probably some of you right here this morning, you're hanging on to all the wrong things. You're hanging on to religion. You're hanging on to some prayer. You're hanging on to something that somebody else has told you. But you know full well right now that you can't go to a point in your life when you genuinely humbled yourself before a holy God, knowing that you were a vile sinner that didn't deserve forgiveness, you went to that God, that God of love, that God that died for you on Calvary, that God that paid everything, that went through everything that he did because he could look down one day and he could see your life and your life mattered to him. You've never gone to him and said, I'm sorry, God, for being such a sinner. I'm sorry for the sins that I've committed. But I know that the only way those sins can be washed away is because of what he did for me at Calvary. Jesus finished the work. You've never asked God to forgive you from the depths of your heart and accepted it because of what Jesus did for you. You've got it based on all these other things. There are no prayers. There are no words. There are no deeds that will save you today. Only Jesus Christ can save you. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I've told you before, I don't remember a word I prayed when I got saved. But man, I could never forget what was going on in my heart. I knew I needed to be forgiven. I knew I had disgraced God. And I knew that if I had any hopes of being forgiven, I'd done proved that it couldn't count on me getting it right. That it was solely upon what Jesus had done for me. Oh, I plead with you today. You need to know that in your life. Maybe that's why God's got you here today. But Christians, we would be better off in heaven, every one of us. But God still has us here for a reason. And God has brought a bunch of us together in this place that we call Bethel Free Baptist Church. And I'm saying, you need to figure out what God wants for your life. You've got a race to win. Are you serious about that? Maybe you need to make some commitments. Maybe you need to make some commitments to this church. Maybe you need to get involved with your life and do what God wants you to do. Not because of what somebody else is going to think of you, but because this is the life that he's given you. This is what he wants for you. This is where God has placed you. You see, it's a pretty daunting thing to know you got to face God one day. But i got news for you. Some of the temptations of the world, they'll still overcome you even knowing knowing that you'll stand before God one day and you'll give an account for that thing that you're being tempted to do. You'll give an account for that thing that's taken the place of him in your heart. You know that, but you'll do it anyway. There'll be times 
When you know you need to keep on, you know you need to be stronger, you know you need to be doing the thing to build yourself up spiritually, but you'll keep going down that slide even though you know that you'll face him one day. You see, Paul tells us right here why it is, what it is that really keeps him going. He says, look, I know I'm going to face God one day with all of this. I know the terror of the Lord. I know all these things. But he says, it's the love of Christ in verse 14. <laughs> the love of Christ constraineth us. <laughs> if you hadn't found it out yet, that thing called love will make you do some pretty strange things sometimes. <laughs> it will. It'll make you do some good things, and it'll make you do some bad things. What is it? The love of Christ constraineth me. You know what it means to be constrained? You know, if I could come around there, I'd show you, but if I do, I'm going to leave the mic. If I had, a, say, a three-meter section of rope, good strong rope, I could come back there, Brother Olu, and I may not be able to constrain you myself, but I'll guarantee you, if I got you wrapped up in that rope and got that knot tied, I could constrain you, brother. I could control you. I could compel you to do whatever I want you to do. I'm saying, what is in control of your life? What is constraining you to make you who you are, to make you do the things you are? What is it that's driving you in your life? Paul said, hey, I know I'd be better off in heaven, but I'm still here. And I've got a job to do. But I'm doing what I'm doing to be accepted of him. But to be accepted of him, not just because I know I'll face him one day with all my rights and wrongs, that's a pretty awesome thing. Not even just because I know that everybody I love and everybody I care for and everybody I know, they're going to face God one day. But it's not just that. He says, that which really, really controls me. That which, when he says, you know, <laughs> it's the love of Christ that constraineth me. <laughs> it's the love of Christ that makes me do what. You see, I want to be accepted of him, not because of the consequences, but because of my love. The one I, you know, that's the one you want to be accepted of more than anything else. It's the love of Christ. You see, I want to be accepted of him, not out of have to, not because of a bunch of rules, not because of a bunch of religious stuff, but because he loves me and I love him so much that nothing is going to separate that. You see, the problem is there's too many things in too many of our lives that control us more than he does. That though we wouldn't want to say it, we love more than we love him. It's more important to be accepted of this person and that person and this group than it is to be accepted of him. Folks, on this Remembrance Sunday, we are remembering the fallen that allow us to even be here today. We want to remember those with all of their sacrifices that they've made to give us this privilege we want to remember a big price has been paid. But most of all, we need to remember the ultimate sacrifice was made at Calvary for you 
That's the only sacrifice. You see, all of those sacrifices of the fallen, they give you the opportunity of life, but they don't give you life itself. They give you the privilege and the freedom of life, but only the sacrifice at Calvary gives you life. It's only then that you can have life. I would say this, another point that I've taken them, you see the crisis in the church. I've preached it to you before. We've gone right through expositionally all those seven churches in the book of Revelation. And we've looked at all those different problems that, that came through that church. And we looked there as we looked at that there was, there was counterfeits, all the false witnesses. There was compromise in the church. There was corruption in the church. There was corpses. There was a bunch of just dead churches. They had no life in them whatsoever. There was complacency. Just going with the status quo. But do you remember where it all started? You see, I'm going to challenge you today with your love. I'm going to challenge you today. Love is more than words. It's easy to say I love somebody. But true love is going to bring something with it. And, and in Revelation chapter 2, I just want to read you this about the first church there. Remember, the church at Ephesus, these seven churches, the first church, these were all literal churches, but also prophetically, they were right down through time. And Ephesus was the very early church age that we read about there in the book of Acts, the early church. This was the early church. And man, they had all the great teaching. They had the doctrines there. They had the apostles there to teach them. The letter to the church at Ephesus said this, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Jesus Christ himself, by the way. Jesus said, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. He says, hey, I see what you're doing. I understand. I know you're working hard. I know you're holding solid on those doctrines. I know you're pointing out the evil and warning people against the evil. You're doing so many wonderful things. You're working hard. I get that. But he goes on in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. You got it all right. You're doing all these things. You're working hard but you've left your first love. There might be those here today. <laughs> oh, you know the rights and the wrongs. You might even genuinely be trying, trying a little bit or a whole lot to do what you know is right with your life. But can I say to you, some of you never found your first love in the first place. But some of you have left your first love. You've left your first love. You see, all the other things, that's where it starts. That's the beginning. There's a lot of bad things that crept into these churches. But here, all the other stuff was still right. Their only problem was they had left their first love. What do you mean, preacher? I'm saying that some of you that claim to be Christians, how can you say you love the Lord? There's no evidence of it in your life. There's nothing to show that you love him. I'm asking you this. Those that really, really are saved and know the Lord. 
you know, worse, maybe you got all this doctrine and teaching and you got all this stuff down pat. He doesn't have your heart anymore. You got things that are weighting you down. Because you see, when he's your first love, he's your most important love. He's the supreme love. When you put anything in your life above him and above his work, you've left your first love. All those other things are going to follow unless you get back to your first love. Jesus died. He gave it all. He suffered it all for you that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He saw you when he died upon that cross. Paul said, man, there's a lot of things to help me stay on the right path in this life. But the one that really controls me, the one that really constrains me, the one that won't let me go else, is because I love him so much. Today, do you love the Lord that much? You see, we're going to close with a closing hymn. If somebody will get Shelly to come on out for the piano, please. Oh, Maurice can come for us. That's all right. I want to ask you a very serious question this morning. And if you don't know by now that I love you, then you're probably never going to figure it out. I love you with all my heart, folks. But on this Remembrance Sunday, there are many of the fallen that showed their love for us by giving their lives that we even have this opportunity of being here today. But I want you to stop and ponder for a moment. You see, there's a race that you're involved in. And you don't have to run. You're in the race. Whether you, if, if you're a child of God, you're in the race. But if there's things that have got you distracted, don't you need to get them out of your life today so that you can run the race effectively? If you're here today, every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you this question. Nobody looking around, please. We don't want anybody to be embarrassed. I just want you to be able to be honest. Is there anyone here today that you don't know with absolute certainty that you're saved, that you're born again, that you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb? You know with absolute certainty. If you don't know that, would you slip your hand up and let me pray for you? I won't embarrass you. I won't twist your arm, but I'll say a prayer for you. Anybody that you don't know that you're saved, but you'd at least like me pray for you, would you slip your hand up? God knows your heart. Are you willing to be honest with Him? Are you willing to be honest with yourself? Would you say, Preacher, pray for me. I do care enough that I would appreciate your prayer. Christian, let me ask you this. You know you're saved. But have you left your first love? <laughs> have you allowed things to creep into your life that are weighing you down, that you're not running the race like you ought to anymore? And you know if you're honest with yourself. Things have distracted you. You see, you've left your first love. Jesus is no longer your first love. There's somebody else or something else or other things. You live in your life to, more to be accepted of other people than you are to be accepted of Him. That's because you love something else more than you love Him. Today, you know you're a Christian, but you know that He's... Knock out that first place in your heart right now. Would you slip your hand up and be honest and say, pray for me. God sees your hand. God sees your hands all over the place. You don't need nobody looking around. God sees your hands, folks. We've got to get honest with ourselves if we want 
help from God. You see, we're going we're gonna to sing a closing hymn right here in just a moment. And it's a little different from what we'd normally sing as a, as a hymn of invitation, but you see, I want you to either be able to sing this from your heart right there, which says, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. If you can sing that from your heart, then I want you to stand and sing it. But listen, if you can't sing that, if you don't know that, would you please get up from wherever you are and would you come down here? Would you talk with someone? Would you pray with someone? We can't make you a Christian. But can you understand? We just want to help you. We just want to show you the right way. Or Christian, you know that you're saved. But you know right here today, some of you raised, you know your heart's not exactly where it needs to be. You can do it where you sit, or you can do it openly. I like what the preacher said one day. Do you have to come down to the front to, to get right with God? No, you don't. But it's kind of like the marriage vows. <laughs> if you mean it, you don't mind saying it before God and the world. Sometimes you need that extra thing in your life. If you need to come and pray this morning, if you need to settle something in your heart, please do so. Whatever you do, will you do whatever you need to do? that you can sing this closing hymn from your heart as we stand and as we sing together. My Jesus, I love thee, but just before we sing, we're going to pray. Father, you know the hearts of every person here. And Lord, you know that even when I stepped in this pulpit this morning, oh, I had an idea, I had the passages, I had the things that you laid on my heart. Lord, I didn't know exactly where you were going to take this. I knew that I wanted to Share with the people where you've had our heart these last three months. And also, Lord, I want to remember so much. Remember the fallen, yes. Remember the one that fell for all of us that gave us life. And Lord, I want us to remember that, Lord, it's love. It's love, our love for him. He needs to have our love such that no other love will compare. You know the hearts. A lot of people have been honest here this morning. You've seen the hands that were raised I want to pray for them, Lord, because they've been honest enough to say, look, I know I'm saved, but I know, I know there's some weights I need to move around. There's some priorities. He needs to be first in my life. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to do that. Lord, we can't change the past, but we can make a difference in where we go from today. Lord, if there are those here that, that just would like someone to put their arm around them and pray with them about these things, Lord, help them just to swallow their pride, get out of their place, come down here, and let a brother or sister in Christ join with them and pray with them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.